references to our spiritual growth, our spiritual well-being, our spiritual health. If you're, if you're outside of community, the chances are of your spiritual uh, well-being flourishing are, are, are very, very slim. You cannot live the Christian life in isolation. You have to be in community. And along with that, you have to know how God has called you to fit into that community. It's not that you just come and sit with a bunch of Christians and call that community. Community implies involvement. It it implies participation. So how has God made you to fit into the community? How has God made you to fit into the body of Christ? And I want to talk to you about that this morning and uh, next week also. So we're going to talk about spiritual gifting. We talked some about that last time, and I want to continue on that theme. Years ago, there was a, a college football coach by the name of Bud Wilkinson who coached uh, world uh, uh, national champion Oklahoma uh, football team. And uh, he was asked in an interview, uh, what contribution does college football make to the physical fitness of America in general? And his answer was, very little. And then he added, a college football game is happening where you have fifty to 100,000 spectators desperately needing exercise, sitting in the stands watching 22 players on the field desperately needing rest. <laughs> kind of ironic, isn't it? And though we laugh at that, that statement can be also made in reference to today's church. When you think about it, the vast majority of Christians have settled into the spectator sport and uh, have abandoned their God-given gifts and their responsibilities to serve God and to serve His people and to serve this world. And they've left the majority of the work of the ministry to the pastor, the pastors, the, uh, the few people who always show up to do the work of the ministry. That's notorious. 20% of the people do 80% of the work, typically, in, in any kind of organization, if you will. And, the, and sadly, that's true of the church. So his remarks really do... Uh, apply, you can apply them to the present-day church, uh, in, in more particularly church in America. Our time, again, this morning and next week is going to be dedicated to this theme of spiritual gifts. Gifts, gifts God has graciously given us, divine abilities. Now think about what I just said. He has graciously given us divine abilities so that we can do the very things that He does. We can do what God does. Isn't that marvelous? I mean, think about that. What kind of things does God do? He does miraculous kinds of things. And so we're going to be talking about those. Uh, this week I'm going to kind of do a broad under under uh, uh, girding of the whole theme and in, in some broad perspective. Next week... We're going to look at actually how to discover, how to determine, how to identify your spiritual gift in particular. And then we're going to go through and list the gifts and uh, just describe the gifts. And who knows, we may experiment even in the service with some of these gifts. We'll have some people healed. Wouldn't that be exciting? Have some prophets prophesy. Have some people made with the gift of tongues and interpretation. And we, we, we just see what, 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 what God calls us to do next week. But my hope and my prayer is that each one of us would certainly consider what are my gifts? What are my gifts and what calling has God called me to? In other words, how do those gifts translate into ministry? We've been talking about community and the primary organ of community in our church is mini church. It's not just the larger venues in which we, we come on the weekend, but it's, it's an environment where we really learn, and the accent is on learn, isn't it? 
We learn to be in relationship. We learn to serve. We learn to give. We learn to be open. Uh, and those things sometimes are, are learned very, very slowly, unfortunately. But given community, also the context of ministry. Every Christian is a minister. If you are born again, you are a minister of the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you know that? How many knew that? If you didn't know that, I'm here to tell you this morning. You are a minister of the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn to your neighbor and, and, and tell him, if you're a Christian, you are a minister of the Lord Jesus Christ. Celebrate that with them. So in that context, we want to know, we want to know what our ministry is. There is nothing more frustrating than, a, than to become a Christian and then you come to church and say, is this it? Is this all there is? No, there's a whole new world opens up to us. Uh, a whole new kingdom, a whole new life, a whole new experience. Uh, and that is revealed through the community that we participate in and as well the ministries that we begin uh, to uh, exercise our giftings in those, in those environs. So uh, we want to discover our gifts. We want to see how they translate into ministry. We want to, above all, see God glorified. We want to see God glorified. That's the whole purpose. That's the whole purpose we live our lives. For the glory of God. Not for our own self-glorification, not for our own uh, self-edification, but rather for the glory of God. God is worthy to be glorified in every, every respect that we can do so. Would you agree with me? Amen. Amen. So let's talk, let's talk about these things. First question is, what are spiritual gifts? It's a very elementary question. Many of you have a good feeling for these things. You've studied these things in the past. But it's important to repeat them because they're so critical to the life of the church. They're so critical to the life of individual Christians. Now, there are two different Greek words for the term spiritual gifts used by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you look at verse 1... He writes, now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. Now, I think that's a fair statement. None of us want to be ignorant about what God has given us. Isn't that true? I want to know exactly what God has provided. I want to know exactly where I fit. I want to know exactly God's will for my life. Would you agree? So he says, I do not want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. Uh, The term he uses from the Greek is pneumatikos. Pneuma, breath, or also spirit. Pneumaticos, working of the spirit. It translates literally spirituals. He says I, I, about spirituals or spiritual things. I don't want you to be ignorant. And the emphasis is on the source of the gifts, and the source of the gifts is the Holy Spirit. Specifically. So the first word he uses is pneumaticos. In verse 4, he uses a second word. He writes, now there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. The word he uses in verse 4 is charismata. We also, you know, the word charismatic. It's a, a gifted person. We use that term fairly loosely. But it's a technical term. It's translated to mean grace gifts referring to the nature of how the gifts are given. They're given by grace, not merit. Write that down. They're given by grace, not merit. It's so easy for us, because of our fallen human nature that we still live in, it's so easy for us to fall back into the trap of our our legalistic ways of thinking uh, that we have to earn something. That we It's so difficult for us to live with a mindset of God's grace to us. Anybody find that to be true? I mean, you know, something bad happens, and the first thought is, what did I do wrong? Why, what did I do to deserve this? Why is God whipping me, you know? And, and so we, we, just, we have this, this constant tendency to think that way. These are grace gifts. They're, not, they're based solely on God's grace, not merit. Very, very important distinction to make. So if you combine those two terms, pneumaticos and charismata, 
A spiritual gift then, now note this, is a divine ability. What is it? A divine ability. Something that God possesses that He communicates to you and I. Some divine ability that only God can do that He gives to you. God says, I have this ability and I'm going to give it to you. So it's a divine ability to do something supernatural that can't happen in the natural realm. You can't do it based on your own abilities, talents, and so forth. This is a divine ability. Have I worked that enough? A divine ability given to believers by the Holy Spirit on the basis of grace. On the basis of grace. For the purpose of... What's the purpose? Service. That's right. For the purpose of service. You recall Jesus' words in John's Gospel, I believe it's chapter 10, when He said, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give His life a ransom for many. That's the theme. He gives us divine abilities so that we can do the kinds of things that He does. You recall Jesus says earlier on, uh, He said, uh, telling His disciples, He said, the things I do, you shall do, and you shall do greater things. Greater in number, greater in extent. The church, Jesus was isolated, located in one locale. The church now has, obviously, worldwide, has much uh, greater greater influence. So these divine abilities, I mean, if someone were to tell me that, you, you become a Christian and God's going to give you some miraculous ability, some supernatural ability to do things that, that only He does. That would turn me on. I, ooh, wow, what is that? And it's a, it's a unique thing just to me. Doesn't that sound exciting? The gifts are simply to glorify God. They are to glorify God. They are to advance the cause of Christ in the church and ultimately in the world. When you see the church full of the glory of God and the power of God, when you see God's people gifted, exercising those gifts, and you see the church being built up and strengthened, the world has to stay and, and say, Wow, look at that. And all of us know gifted people functioning in their gifts and, and how they mark your life. And so the church should be that way. Now the question comes up, how many gifts are made available to us? How many gifts are there? there there's not an exhaustive listing. There are representative lists. And none of them are exhaustive. Because when you read the list in 1 Corinthians, there's about 13 gifts listed there. Then you compare it with the 8 gifts listed in Romans chapter 12. You see that, that there, there are gifts listed in Corinthians that Paul doesn't list in Romans. Which just tells us that these are not comprehensive lists. The same thing is true for Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, you have 5 gifts listed. Now, those aren't the only listings. There are other listings, other references smattered throughout the Scriptures. And we're going to look in more detail at these next week. That's why I'm just going over them very generally this morning. In uh, James chapter 5 and Luke chapter 11, there are two references to a gift we, would, we could describe as a gift of intercession. In Matthew chapter 19 and 1 Corinthians chapter 7 you have uh, references to what we could call the gift of celibacy. That's not an oft-prayed-for gift, as you might understand. In Acts chapter 7 and 1 Corinthians 13, you have a reference to what also could be called the gift of martyrdom. And as you might know, that that's a one-time gift. Acts chapter 13 and Acts chapter 10, you have reference to uh, what could be termed the gift of missionary. And again, these lists are not comprehensive. There are other, li- other gifts uh, in the Old Testament. 
In the book of Exodus, uh, you recall God uh, tells Moses that he's going to gift a particular man, Bezalel, gift him with wisdom, knowledge, understanding, and all sorts of, of craftsmanship so he can build the sanctuary or design the sanctuary and all the furnishings and the accoutrements that will go to the worship of the tabernacle. Let me read the verse to you, uh, Exodus 31.3. And I have filled him, meaning Bezalel, with the Spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, and in all kinds of craftsmanship. So there are spiritual gifts, presumably, of craftsmanship. Spiritual gifts. I believe that those are still in evidence today in, in the fields of uh, painting, in the fields of uh, writing, designing, building, worship even. We have a very gifted worship leader, do we not? I mean, th- this man is so gifted, I can ask him at a drop of a hat, a moment's notice, to write a song. And he can do it just like that. He's just amazingly gifted to be able to do that. He doesn't have to scratch his head and go, gosh. And very often, as many of you know, I take advantage of that gift. He can hardly wait every time I say that. So there are, there are giftings. Now, how do I know that it's a gift from God? How do I know if I have one of these, one of these kind of craftsman abilities, gifts, if you will, if it's actually a gift from God. Remember the definition for the purpose of service. For the purpose of service. We are, uh, we are interviewing architects uh, presently for uh, a new building uh, down the road here. And uh, part, of, part of what we're looking for is an architect who has a vision for the glory of God and for the service of God's people. And someone who can communicate that through architecture. Not just a, any old architect. Someone who has a, has a vision. Someone who has a, an apparent gift to design that way. And so, I, again, I believe these gifts, these, these special spiritual enablements, if you will, uh, extend even to these arenas. Now, the question would come up also, are all Christians to function in some of these gifts listed. Are all Christians to function in some of these gifts that are listed? The answer is yes. But let me qualify that. There are all these gifts, but all Christians don't function in the particular gifts, but they function rather in what we would call Christian roles. Let me give you a couple of examples to help you understand what I'm saying. Is there a gift, a spiritual gift of evangelism? Yes. Paul clearly says that in Ephesians, that Christ has given the gift of evangelists to the church. There are gifted people who have the ability. Billy Graham would be one, right? We have others in our own congregation that we're gaining visibility of who are gifted evangelists. So while there's a gift of evangelism, would you agree with me that all Christians should function in the role of being a witness and sharing their faith. As Paul says to Timothy, do the work of the evangelist. Jesus says to his disciples before he sends into heaven, Acts 1.8, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, uh, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so we see, while you may not have the gift of evangelism, you're still to do the work of the evangelist. Right, Mark? Yes. How about um, giving financially? Is there a gift of giving? Is there a gift of generosity? Absolutely. Romans chapter 12, we see that clearly. Uh, God uniquely gifts some people with this incredible ability to be amazingly generous in their giving. And they give everywhere. But... Though there is a genuine spiritual gift of giving and generosity, are all Christians to give and be generous? Yes, yes absolutely. You see that reflected in Second uh, Corinthians uh, chapter eight and nine. You see it in Second uh, uh, Corinthians uh, chapter First uh, Corinthians chapter sixteen, verses one and two. How about encouragement? Is there a spiritual gift of encouragement? Yes. 
Should all Christians, even though you're not gifted with the gift of encouragement, should all Christians encourage? Sure. First Thessalonians 4.18, where you have the instruction clearly, encourage one another. There, that, that is one of the many one another's of the New Testament. We should encourage one another. I believe my wife has the gift of encouragement. She always has an apt word to encourage people. She looks for opportunities to encourage. There's a gift called the gift of helps. We see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So, being a spiritual gift, should all Christians help? Yes, absolutely. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.14, Paul says, help the weak. And it's a broad statement to all believers. The point I want to make is that uh, there are spiritual gifts listed that all Christians are to function in, but not necessarily as spiritual gifts, more as spiritual roles. So I have a role to function in as a Christian. We all have the same role, though we may not gift it in that. We will, however, each one, have an ability, a spiritual ability, to excel in certain particular areas. That's where our spiritual gifting will lie. Do we understand the difference between the two? Again, uh, Billy Graham, we know, clearly has the gift of evangelism. uh, And we believe he leads thousands of people to Christ. But there are those not necessarily gifted in evangelism who faithfully share their faith and they see the the fruit of their obedience in uh, witnessing. We have lots and lots of people in our church who uh, have taken uh, the evangelism classes and are growing in their evangelistic skills. They may not be gifted, but they're seeing people come to the Lord. A gifted evangelist just God miraculously uses that person to bring people to Christ. And, and they use any number of methodologies, if you will. Now, it's important also to know that there are four things that gifts are not. Four things that gifts are not. First of all, just as we had described, spiritual gifts are not the same as Christian roles. Again, Christian roles are the areas in which all believers are to function. As Christians, we all have the same roles to play in serving the Lord. But we also have differing gifts given to us by God. Example, um, if your neighbor's house is burning down, you wouldn't refuse to assist him because firefighting is not your gift. Right? But there are people, uh, believe it or not, there are people who, who say, you know, well, evangelism is not my gift, so I don't tell anybody. Well, wait a minute, there's a whole series of passages that tell you to share your faith. Uh, spiritual gifts are not the same as talents, natural talents given to us at birth. These two are gifts from God, but they're natural gifts. They don't necessarily translate to spiritual giftings. A spiritual gift comes directly when you are reborn by the Spirit of God. Natural talents and abilities come when you are born. Someone asked, does a talent become a spiritual gift when you are born again? In other words, I'm a teacher and I'm very effective in my teaching. Does that teaching gift become a spiritual gift when I'm born again? Not necessarily. The way you know is if there is spiritual blessings and spiritual fruit born as a result of your, uh, your uh, exercising of that talent and or ability. Are people edified and built up spiritually? You can very easily be very, very talented as a teacher, but that doesn't necessarily translate to the spiritual gift of teaching, which has a spiritual emphasis in a person's life. Now, you may have a gift of teaching apart from any, uh, any natural talent whatsoever. I, I've known people uh, in our church over the years who have had no background, no experience in teaching and then watch them grow in a spiritual gift of teaching and just flourish and people are blessed 
by their, the spiritual insights and instruction that they gain from those people. So you could not be have a, have a talent, and then you have a spiritual gift of teaching. Do you see? So uh, the point is, uh, spiritual gift is not the same as a natural talent. Thirdly, uh, spiritual gift is not the same thing as the fruit of the Spirit. Notice it's fruit, not fruits of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, the Apostle Paul describes uh, the fruit of the Spirit. Nine qualities. Nine qualities that God expects of every Christian. And these are qualities that are generated in you by the Spirit of God as you walk with the Spirit of God. As you depend on the Spirit of God. These are not qualities that you generate on your own. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, uh, faithfulness, self-control. Did I leave out any one of them? Gentleness. There's nine of them. All of us want to be more loving, right? Is it safe to say all of us like to be more joyful? Have you ever tried to be more joyful? It reminds me of the story my wife told me one time. She was on a flight. She was a flight attendant for years in, in American Airlines. And uh, she said she was boarding passengers on this one, one trip one time. And, and you know, you just, you're boarding passengers and taking their tickets and saying, welcome aboard and all that stuff. And, you know, it's just very routine. And so she said, this guy stopped right in front of her, and he looked at her, and she looked at him, and he said, smile. She looked right back, and she says, you smile and hold it for 12 hours. <laughs> she said it much more nicely. <laughs> Something's lost in the translation there, I'm sorry. The point I want to make is that you, you try to get a hold of joy. You try to be joyful. It's part of the fruit that's generated by God's Spirit in us. Fruit has to do with one's character. Gifts have to do with one's function. Therein is the distinction. They're both provided and given by the Spirit of God. One is a character issue. The other is a function issue. My gifting determines where I function. The fruit is evidence of my growing spiritual character and nature. And fourthly, spiritual gifts are not a counterfeit from Satan. Jesus reminds us in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24, verse 24, He said, For false Christs and false prophets will appear, not maybe, not might, they will appear, and they will perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect if that were possible. So he alerts us that there will be miraculous things done by people who are, in effect, false prophets, false messiahs, false teachers, and they're meant to deceive. These are counterfeit. Moses, you remember, was performing miracles for the glory of God before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh's magicians were duplicating many of those same miracles. And by what power do you suppose they were uh, performing their miracles? By the power of Satan, very clearly. By the power of the devil. So the question comes, how do I discern which gifts or miracles are from God? How do I know? Well, do these glorify Christ? Do these result in serving others? Or are they for my own self-aggrandizement? You remember the Holy Spirit came to glorify Christ, didn't he? Jesus said that the Holy Spirit is given, he's, he's come, and he will uh, point everyone to me. He will take the things of mine and give them to you. Uh, John chapter 16. In fact, let me read the passage to you. Verse 12. Uh, I have much more to say to you. He's speaking to his disciples. This is the night before he dies. 
more than you can now bear. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on His own. He will speak only what He hears, and He will tell you what is yet to come. Verse 14, He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. And this would include spiritual gifts. The Spirit makes these known. And they bring Christ glory. That's how you tell. And people's lives are enhanced. People's lives are built up. People's lives, they, they, they're glad you're there. Do You see, there's no suspicion. Another question is, what is the purpose of the gifts? Now, we've gone over this, but I want to, again, be more specific. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, Paul says, But to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given, notice this, for the common good. In other words, it's for the good of all of us these gifts are given. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, Each one should use whatever gift he has received, to serve others. Now notice this. Faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Faithfully administering God's grace in its... The very purpose of spiritual gifts is to edify, is to build up others. Not ourselves. It's not for our own self-glorification. Rather, these are given so that the body of Christ, the church may be built up and ultimately Christ glorified. Now, indirectly, as we function our gifting, indirectly we will be built up, won't we? We'll be encouraged knowing that God has used us and that people's lives have been blessed. But the direct, the direct effect is to build up others and to glorify Christ. God gives the gifts simply that others might be served. Now, what would you think of a person in the ministry who uh, is given a certain amount of money, and that money is to be used to serve others. That money is to be taken and used, every penny of it, to serve other people. Now, what would you think of that person if they took the money and didn't use it to serve others, kind of just hid it, buried it, put it in the bank, or worse yet, used it on themselves? Would you be excited to know that? Would you think highly of that person? No, you, you think, wow, what a, what, a, what a terrible thing to do. What, a, what a, a terrible act. That person was entrusted with those monies to serve others. And when we find out they didn't do that very thing, they did something else with the money, we would feel cheated, ripped off. Uh, we would feel rather righteously indignant over that, wouldn't we? Well, may I suggest to you, it's the same with spiritual gifts. If God has entrusted spiritual giftings to us, and we don't use those gifts, we bury them, it's the very same thing. It's just like robbing the church of money. It's robbing the church. It's robbing God. There's no difference in terms of its ultimate effect. If you don't use your spiritual gift, uh, if you're not functioning in it, Beloved, it is sin. It is sin. It is something to be repented of. For the church to work, for the church to function best, each person needs to serve in a place that uses his or her particular gifting. If I can use this analogy, what if God gave us carpenters and plumbers and masons and roofers and electricians to build up the church. I mean, that's a, that's a good analogy. And, you, and we told the plumbers to do the roofing. And we told the electricians to upholster the furniture and the masons to uh, plant the lawn and the roofers to paint and lay carpet. How effective would the church be in being built up? There'd probably be some delays, some mistakes being made, uh, cost overruns, and any number of, of problems. You see... To be effective, the church, each person in the church must be, must be encouraged and must be allowed to function in the gifting, in the calling that God has assigned each one. Do you know your gifting? 
Do you know your calling? Turn to your neighbor and just ask them rhetorically, do they know that? Each member of the body of Christ, each member of the church has a special ministry, has a special calling. God does not call someone to do something without first equipping that person with the gifting to do it. There are people who sometimes are say, you know, I, 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 you know, I want to be involved. I really want to get involved, but I just know that if I, if I, if I jump in with both feet, I just know God's going to make me be a missionary, <laughs> and I'm going to have to live in some obscure part of the world and eat bugs and live in a hovel and oh, I don't want to do that. Well, God's not going to make you do any of that stuff unless first He's called you and gifted you and given you the very desire and vision to do it. So the question is, and we'll explore this more in detail next week, what is it that He's given you a vision for? And how has He equipped you? And how can we translate that into effective ministry? Now, how do the gifts operate? How do they actually operate? And we'll... We'll experiment with some of these in the next coming weeks. Spiritual gifts, this is very important, spiritual gifts are not just for spiritual giants. Sometimes we think, well, you know, I'm not a, I don't consider myself a spiritual giant, so I'm not sure that I have any real significant gifts. No, spiritual gifts are for all Christians, not just for the spiritual giants. Let me give you an example of gifts working just kind of in an everyday situation. It's just kind of a mundane, practical, everyday situation. Picture, if you will, seven individuals representing... i got a thing here. (laughs) Seven individuals representing seven individual spiritual gifts. Okay? And here's the setting. It's a singles potluck barbecue. Got the picture? And someone has just dropped the dessert on the floor. How would these seven spiritual gifts function in that common, everyday environment? Let's start with the the person with the gift of prophecy. What would that person say? I knew that was going to (laughs) happen. Then the person with the gift of giving would probably say something along these lines. I'll be happy to buy a new dessert. Then you have the person with the gift of teaching. They would probably say something like, the reason that fell is that it was too heavy on one side. Then, of course, you have the person with the gift of exhortation. Next time, let's serve the dessert with the meal. And then the administrator. Everybody loves the administrator. Jim, would you get the mop? Sue, please help pick it up. Mary, help me fix some other dessert. Administrating, organizing, you see. And then there's the person with the gift of helps. They would probably say something like this. Oh, let me help you clean it up. And then, thankfully, the person with the gift of mercy would come along and say, Don't feel badly. It could have happened to anyone. I mean, it's a simple illustration of just how gifts can function. And in that environment, you see that that everyone is working together and everyone's gift is functioning to the overall building up that whole environment. Do you see that? Now, what about the distribution of the gifts? There's seven important facts to remember about the distribution of spiritual gifts. Number one, you have at least one. You have at least one gift that is presumably given at salvation. Even the newest believer has at least one spiritual gift. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, But to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given. In verse 11, The Spirit distributes to each one. Verse 18, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them. Ephesians 4, 7, but to each of us. And in 1 Peter 4, 10, each one should use 
whatever gift he has received. So you see, every Christian can say with confidence, I have at least one gift. Now, secondly, you may, in fact, have more than one gift. Most Christians do. The challenge is to identify those gifts. A lot of times there's a, there's a, a predominant gift with, a, with a, 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 a cast of supporting gifts to that gift. The Apostle Paul clearly had more than one spiritual gift. Okay? And so many, many Christians have multiple giftings, seemingly one dominant gift. Uh, in fact, in 1 Corinthians 14.1, Paul says, Desire earnestly spiritual gifts. He uses the plural there. And it's not just to the whole congregation, the whole congregation, but individuals desire spiritual gifts. Obviously, the more that you have, the better you can serve. Number three, you will not have all the gifts. There are some who teach that every Christian should have and exercise all the gifts. I think they, they mistake Christian giftings from roles. But the scriptures say, Paul writes in chapter 14, or chapter 12, the end of chapter 12, he says, All are not apostles, all are not teachers, all are not healers, and so forth. So clearly we see uh, that not all Christians have all gifts. Indeed, in in chapter 12, verse 4, he says, For each of us has one body with many members. All these members do not all have the same function. So my body, lots of parts, all the parts don't have the same function. Uh, This is not just one eye. You see, there's lots of parts that make up this body and the, and the church as such. Uh, number four, it's vital to remember that your gifting is absolutely essential to the efficient functioning of the body of Christ. If you're not functioning in your gifting, then, this, then the body of Christ now is somehow disabled. It's limited. You can't say, well, you know, someone else will do it. You know, there's always that paradigm. People say, well, you know, other people give, other people do that. You know, I... No, you can't say that with respect to spiritual gifting because these are unique to you. God has, before the foundation of the world, already set out things for you to do, and He's gifted you to do them. And if you don't do them, guess what? They don't get done. Some incredibly vital piece of the puzzle doesn't get filled in unless all Christians are living out the reality of what God has called them to be and to do. This is why if you, have a, if you have a gift of pastoring or the gift of shepherding, you should be shepherding because there are literally thousands and thousands of people who need to be shepherded. Number five, uh, each gift can be used for different ministries. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 5, there are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. The implication is that one ministry is not better than the other. So my gifting can be used in different ministries. Number six, each gift will have different effects. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 6. There are different kinds of workings, but the same God works all of them in all men. Example, uh, a person gifted in teaching may function as a mother teaching too. Or a person gifted in teaching could function as a Sunday school teacher teaching 20. Or a person gifted in teaching could function as a pastor teaching 200. Greater effect doesn't mean that a person is more spiritual. In fact, no one is more spiritual because of their gift, type of ministry, or effect of their ministry. And why is that? That leads us to number seven. Because the distribution of the gifts, the distribution of the ministry, the distribution of the effects of that ministry are given by the sovereign work of the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit as Paul spells out in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 6. It's God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, the triune God, the Godhead, that distributes these gifts, oversees the workings, and the effects. And so none of us can take credit. You see that? Now God expects us 
beloved, he expects us to be faithful. He simply expects us to be faithful. Again, if I can quote Peter in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, he writes, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Now, what do you want to hear when you cross over the bar and you stand before the pearly gates on that day when you enter into eternity? What's the wor- what words do you want to hear? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's going to include, beloved, faithful, not just in terms of obeying God in, in, in moral issues and all the, the typical ways we think about the Ten Commandments. It's, it, it's, it's going to reference also faithfulness in what did I give you and how did you use it? What did I entrust to you in terms of relationship, resources, and more particularly, may I suggest, spiritual gifting? Because that is so critical to the building up of the body of Christ. If you want to hear, well done, good and faithful, you best know what your gifting is and you best be functioning in it. Otherwise, you know, he's going to say to you one day, he says, what did you do with that? Well, I buried it. I wasn't sure. I was afraid. I was... He said, you shouldn't have been. What a tragedy. What a loss. Someone asked me, how long do we keep our gifts? How long do we keep them? My response, presumably for life. Presumably for life. Why? Because they're gifts. They're given. They become ours. God's not an Indian giver. And remember, they're given by what? Grace, not merit. So if I demerit, if I get demerits, if there's such a way, such a possibility to do that, there's not, then my gifts aren't taken away, you know. Paul writes in Romans eleven twenty nine. I love this, God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. His gifts and his call are irrevocable. Now some gifts may lie dormant, and that is against the will of God. It's against the will of God for your spiritual gifts to lie dormant. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul writes and says, neglect, neglect not the gift. In the very next letter, in 2 Timothy, he says, stir up the gift. So let's not neglect our gifts. And in fact, let's stir them up. What's my gifting? Stir it up. Use it. Is it possible to abuse spiritual gifts? Yes. And there are four ways that people typically abuse spiritual gifts. Number one, by forbidding them. There are, there are teachings, there are churches, there are literal denominations that have explained away the miraculous spiritual gifts. They say that the gifts died out when the apostles died. Uh, I don't subscribe to that because, very simply, Paul says, desire earnestly spiritual gifts. And he says in another place, do not forbid the speaking in tongues. The implication is these things are going to happen, but you want to manage them. So don't forbid these things. Another way that they can be abused is this thing called gift projection. Gift projection happens when you watch somebody else, you have visibility of somebody else in ministry, functioning in their gifting, and then somehow you translate or you want that gifting in ministry for yourself. You, you project their gifts onto you. And you neglect what your gift is. That happens all the time, doesn't it? People, people see people who are very talented, very, very capable in various areas, and, uh, and they feel that they don't have much to offer, so they begin to appropriate something from that other person. Not necessarily just their example. They don't just, just appreciate them and thank God for them and for the effect they've had, but they actually try to project onto themselves somebody else's gifting and or ministry. There's another way that you can abuse spiritual gifts, and that is what's known as over-specialization. I addressed this a little while ago. This occurs when people refuse to function in roles that Scripture requires of every Christian at the excuse of ministering only in their gift. 
well, I don't, I don't evangelize because that's not my gift. No, we're all supposed to do that. Well, I don't, I don't encourage because that's not my gift. No, we're all supposed to do those things. There's a difference between Christian roles and giftings. Sometimes people just over-specialize in their gifting and neglect the role. Make sense? And then the fourth way is uh, disorderly use. This happened in Corinth. This is one of the reasons that Paul writes to them about these issues. He says uh, everything in, ver- in chapter 14, verse 40, everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. In other words, there has to be some structure. There has to be some organization. There has to be some context. Otherwise, you have chaos. And that's what was going on in the church in Corinth. They were exercising these miraculous gifts, more particularly tongues, and without interpretation. And uh, it was just a chaotic environment. So when the church is gathered together, uh, no one is to function in their gifting in such a way as to call unnecessary attention to themselves. The church is, is, is meant to be a choir unto God, not a whole bunch of individual soloists doing their own thing unrelated to each other. So uh, disorderly use is a classic way where gifts can be and have been abused, and Paul writes about that. What are some of the wrong attitudes towards spiritual gifts? People have wrong attitudes. One would be arrogant pride. That's evidence that Paul writes again in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. He says, For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? If you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? The point is, he's addressing their pride and their arrogance. So we dare not be prideful about our gifting. Well, I have thus and such a gift. No, it's a grace gift. God gave it to you. There's nothing that you did to earn it or deserve it. Secondly, uh, and it's kind of close to this, is feeling superior. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 21 and 22. Uh, God doesn't mean for us to feel superior. He says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the, other, on the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. So whatever gift you have, don't look down on other people and don't feel superior in your gifting to somebody else. You can experience uh, false humility with respect to gifting. And that's very simply just saying, well, shucks, I, I don't know what gift I have. You know, I don't know. It's, it's not that big a deal. False humility. Or feeling inferior. Feeling inferior. Verses 15 and 16 of First Corinthians, Paul writes... If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. So there's no reason a wrong attitude is, well, I, I, I just have this gift and I'm and I just am not as great as the others. I don't really... No, no, no. Don't feel inferior. That's a wrong attitude. Looking for experience or excitement is another wrong attitude. Jesus talks about this in another context in Matthew chapter 12. He says, it's an adulterous generation. It's an adulterous generation that asks for miraculous signs. In other words, he says your priorities are out of order. If you're asking just to see the spectacular, and that's what he's talking about in that context in Matthew's gospel. These people just wanted to see miraculous signs just to see them. There are some people who want to embrace and engage and exercise spiritual gifts and see them just for the excitement of it all. And you always hear this, Ooh, wasn't the Spirit moving? I'm here to tell you, beloved, where the people of Christ are gathered, the Spirit is there and He is moving. Even though you don't have the spiritual holy heebie-jeebies. I'm serious. Uh, you know, some people are just into the into the excitement of it all and getting turned on, and 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 that really comes as a result of what internal devotion to Christ. This is where you get turned on, not an external experience. Number six, 
Another wrong attitude would be being discouraged if you can't discover or identify your gift. Well, I don't know my gift, and I, I just can't see it, and I'm just discouraged about all this. No, that's a wrong attitude. Well, what do you tell somebody about that? Tell them to come next week. And number seven, we already talked about this gift projection. Another wrong attitude, projecting someone else's gift or ministry on themselves. There are some proper attitudes towards spiritual gifts. This imperative. Number one, be content with what God's given you. Paul says, I've learned the secret of being content in whatever circumstance I find myself. Be content. Be content with what God has given you. Number two, be humble. No basis for spiritual pride. Be humble. Remember that these are grace gifts. You don't merit them. Number three, be Holy Spirit powered. What does that mean, Holy Spirit powered? Trust the power of the Holy Spirit, not your flesh. Well, how do I do that? By stepping out in faith. I have the gift of helps, I believe. So I'm going to step out and help where I see a need. And as I step out and help where I see the need, it's not just me that's doing it. I'm going to trust that the Holy Spirit is going to minister a whole broad range of effects as I step out and meet the need. Does that make sense? You have the gift of teaching. You just teach what God has given you to teach. You share the insight. You trust the power of the Holy Spirit, not your own abilities, talents, etc., etc. Number four, have a servant's heart. Have a servant's heart. Again, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, these gifts are given, what? To serve others. Have a servant's heart. Number five, have a team attitude. The eye cannot function by itself. Take the eye out of the head, out of the socket. It cannot function by itself. It needs the socket. It needs the head. It needs the brain. It needs the nerves. It needs all the associated things for it to function. So just as the eye cannot function by itself, it's got to function in the context of a team, doesn't it? So just as the eye cannot function by itself, neither can a Christian or should a Christian try to function by themselves. Well, you know, I don't go to church. I just, I just believe in God and I serve God and I love God out here all by myself. You're missing it. You're missing it. And lastly, be motivated by love. Be motivated by love. Paul writes very clearly in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, Now I show you the most excellent way. If I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm only a noisemaker. If I have the gift of prophecy, can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. If I have faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I have gained nothing. Beloved, God loved and he gave. Say that with me. God loved and he gave. One more time. God loved and he gave. You must be motivated by love. The love that God pours into your heart by the Holy Spirit that he's given to you. That love is associated to the gifting. You identify the gifting, motivated by love, these other attitudes, and you'll see your life flourish in ways that will just blow your mind. Next time, we're going to discover the gifts. We're going to look at them in greater detail and try to understand them and maybe even experiment with them. Won't that be fun? Let's pray. I'm going to ask the communion servers to prepare to serve the congregation communion, if you would, please. Father, we do bow before you, and we're thankful for gifts. We're thankful for the gifted body. We're thankful for the privilege and the opportunities to serve one another. Thank you, Lord, that you came not to be served, but to serve. 
and you call us to follow you. Open our eyes to those opportunities. Open our eyes to the gifts you've given us to fulfill those callings. As we approach your table now, Lord, we ask, Lord, for strength. We ask, Lord, for grace and forgiveness and a renewed sense of hope for not only this day, but for our very life. Thank you, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Those of you who are visiting with us, if you are Christians, we invite you to take communion. Uh, the protocol is very simple. The servers will pass the trays down through the rows. The matzah will come first, the juice second. Take one each of those elements, if you would. Hold on to them. We want to wait till everybody is served. Once everyone's served, I'll come back. We'll all take communion together. Use the intervening time, certainly everyone, to reflect on your own life, your own attitude, your own walk. If there are things in your life that are wrong, if you're harboring unforgiveness, bitterness, resentment, it's a time to give those things up, repent of them, and be reconciled.